We're speaking with people that are sending a pulse through their industry. Pulse through their industry. If you want to be taken seriously, you have to be consistent. Have to be consistent. You got to keep the big picture that hey, we're changing the world. We're changing. The league presents Electric People. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Electric People. Today we have Lance Cummings on the line. What's up, Lance? How are you? Hi, Tyler. Good to hear from you. I'm well, thank you. So for you guys that don't know Lance, this is a special episode for me. Lance and I have interacted a couple different times, and you've interacted with our sales teams. Um, But Lance is a uh, recently retired from a 30-year career with the U.S. Navy. You were retired as a chief warrant officer, level four chief warrant officer, in the in the Navy SEAL teams. Did I say that right? Is that how you say it? That's it. Chief Warrant Officer right. 4. Chief Warrant Officer 4. And I've done some research on Chief Warrant Officer 4s, and I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> um, but your your bio is crazy, Lance. You've done a million different things here. So let me, let me go through and hit some points, and then we'll spend the next uh, hour or so dissecting this whole team. But you had a 30-year career with the Navy. You were on SEAL teams one, three, four, five, and seven. You're also a contractor to Blackwater. Blackwater is um, they specialize in in security detail. Is that right? Among other things, yes. Yeah, but also founded by a SEAL, provides security services. And you've deployed all over the world, from the Middle East to Africa, South America, Southeast America. Uh, and then you and I actually met during your five year stint at SEAL Fit, where you're the director of operations. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. It was a good time too. It was a good time. It was a good time for both of us, but we had a different experience at Seal Fit. We'll also talk about that one today. (laughs) Uh, Just from both both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, that's right, man. Um, But I was digging through your, your professional certifications. So you have nine plus professional certifications amidst your impressive career with the, with the U.S. Navy. But most of these in uh, chiropractics, sports, recovery, um, physical training. You've done a lot there. And then you have eight military certifications from uh, being a master training specialist to diving to free fall, weapons, um, all kinds of things. And then on top of that, you've been an athlete on the Navy pentathlon team, the rifle and pistol team, U.S. Outrigger Canoe Championship, U.S. National Dragon Boat Racing Team. You've lived like 10 different lives, Lance. No, I, you know what? I, I haven't gotten in near what I want to, but I'm still pressing forward, right? <laughs> Seems like it. What is dragon boat racing? What's a dragon boat? Dragon boat was uh, it's a Chinese-oriented sport, so you've, uh, you've got 20 guys in a boat, and that's hard enough to do is get 20 people to go out and practice and race. But uh, uh, it, it's basically like a drag race uh, with lanes set up, and you're you have uh, distances of 200, 500, 1,000, and 2,000 meters, and you uh, you line up, and um, the the gate goes down, and it's a drag race to the finish line. And sometimes the, the distance between first and third is two or three tenths of a second. So it's a, wow. it's a lot of fun, a lot of competition, um, and I've. And I've been lucky enough to do it all over the world with some really great teams. Man, that's great. Well, and on top of all that, you're the founder of the Epic Charity Challenge, which is such a cool charity that we'll dive into. But maybe to start us off, so you and I first met at SealFit. I was going through my pictures of SealFit. Um, and since then, we've done four activities together. So our teams in Southern California have done two rounds of SealFit. Uh, you came to our leadership conference and put us through like maybe 30% of a round of uh, 20X challenge. And then we've done a, which was enough, by the way, a lot of, a lot of vomit on the field, a lot of sunburns. It was a good time, man. Um, and then we've also done a, a, a shooting and weapons uh, training, which is amazing, but it was funny. I don't know if you remember this, but after our first round of seal fit, um, we were just packing it up to leave. And I pulled you aside and I said, Hey, you know, you see a lot of teams like this. How did, how did we do? And uh, your answer was classic. I don't know if you remember this, but you looked at me and you said, well, you were one of the most unprepared groups I've ever seen, <laughs> which is easy to laugh <laughs> It's easy to laugh at and talk about right now. But we were thinking, man, we got this group. We're all really competitive, young, driven sales guys. All the guys go to the gym all the time. They got apparently all these worthless muscles. 
And Lance tells me, well, you're one of the most unprepared groups you've ever seen. I don't know if you know this, but we sent three people went to the hospital after that day. Some of them for uh, oh. bearing. Yeah, man, it was just the No, I didn't get that push. download part. You know, I always no, miss the good stuff after it's over. Oh, man, it was incredible. But um, one of the things that, that you hit on real briefly there is is mantras and having like a personal mantra or a code or a level of self-talk. And when I look at all of the things that we've just gone through that you've accomplished in your life and you said you're still you're still clacking things off the list, what are do you have a mantra that drives you to these incredible personal development and team development achievements? Why do you why do you push yourself so hard? Well, uh, that's a good question. But, uh, you know, whenever I, I set up to do something, I set an objective for it. And a lot of times it's something that um, other people or groups have done under a lot of adversity. For instance, uh, we just clicked off the Baton Death March in the Philippines uh, this past March. And, you know, I took about 20 people over there and we replicated the route. But the entire time, you know, it was probably 95 degrees and 100% humidity. And, you know, it's just, it's a beat down. But the entire time I was just thinking about the survivors of the march and how they had done it with no food and very little water. And the Japanese were just looking for any excuse to execute them along the way, you know, where they stopped or helped someone else out. So that made the entire trip that much easier for me, just knowing that it had been accomplished already under much more diverse and difficult uh, circumstances. So I, I, you know, I try to find things like that to, to push me uh, to do things better and bigger and to keep going no matter what. And for, for our listeners, I had a chance to go through some of those videos that are on your website. So the website is epiccharitychallenge.com. And uh, I, was, I was flipping through and you, they were talking to that, that gentleman that was there and was talking about, you know, the first time they started on that march and someone had fallen down and the Japanese came up and just shot him right on the trail. I mean, it literally was. I didn't, I didn't know much about the history of that, but you go around recreating these things and taking people through these different experiences. Yeah, and, you know, and sharing that uh, and leading up to that event, it was, it was eye-opening to me to know that, there's not a lot of people that can actually tell you what that, that death march was. And it was one of the the largest surrenders of U.S. forces in history, you know, and it, and I think more people should know about things like that. Um, you know, so, um, having that, having that bit of history in your mind, you know, if we don't know things like that, then we're, we're kind of doomed to relive them. So if we're not prepared for just about every scenario and, we can't look back on some of those battles and the world situations as they transpired and what led to that whole surrender, then, uh, you know, we might get in that same situation again. I think it's important that everyone remembers things like that and, you know, has that in the back of their mind. Yeah. Hey, Lance, I want to, Ty, I got to get back to the seal fit stuff before we keep on this. This is like some heavy stuff we're getting into. I'm more interested in Ty just suffering on this, uh, in this seal fit event. So, uh, <laughs> and we had, you guys have done it twice together now with a big group. So I want to hear from Lance, like call some people out, man. Like these guys that you thought you were going to see, you're like, Oh, this guy's going to be a stud. And then this guy's just in tears. Like I want to, I want to have some of our people get called out on this thing. Well, you know, Ty, he's sort of leading the group. So he set it all up. And I, I think that's some extra pressure on him to perform and, uh, you know, to step up and be a leader. And then, but before the event, Ty gives me kind of the bio on the people that are going through it and, and what they've done to prepare for it. And, it, and it's always fun to, uh, to hear that and then start uh, turning the screws and see exactly, you know, what they've done. And, and, and even though they're physical studs, when, when you put them under a little bit of stress and mental pressure and, and bring them up to the front to lead the group in a series of exercises and things like that, you know, even though they know the leader is just going to get hammered, it's, it's really good to see who's going to step up no matter what. And, and from a leadership position, um, 
you know, and, and we've done these same type of events with coaches for football teams and things, and, and they get to see the heart of the team. You know, they get to see who's going to, no matter you know, if someone's up there just getting their, their butt handed to them and you call for another leader, and it's like, okay, who's going to step up? And it's, uh, it's always interesting to see that, you know, the, the people who prepare physically and think they're ready are generally the ones that take a step back instead, instead of taking a step forward. Well, and it's you, too, can you, sorry, go ahead, Adam. I, I was just going to say, can you give us like a high level, a high level overview of what you do at seal fit just for the people that aren't aware of it that are listening? Okay. So, uh, I'm no longer with the company, uh, but what my my position there was to program the peaks and valleys of of the day or two days or three days, whatever the evolution, uh, however long it was going to take, uh, and and to make sure that you know medically screen people before they come in, and then to uh, to program it so that of course you can you know, I don't care what kind of condition someone's in. It, Give me two or three hours, and and you know they'll they'll certainly be down hard. But if you program in peaks and valleys, so we're we're slowing it down enough people to recover, uh, hydrate, you know, get some food in them, and then give them a little bit of mental coaching so that they can continue going through and and break through their perceived envelopes of uh, comfort then, you know, you can ramp it up again and then ramp it back down. But uh, that's that's the important thing. And so, you know, we've, we've had some people that develop rhabdomyolysis, and, and that can certainly put you in the hospital for a period of time, can kill you. We had two. Continue. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, we had two. You know, you have to, <laughs> and, and you have to brief those. The, here's the symptoms that you might that you might see or, you know, you might experience. And if this happens, then... You know, you've either over undertrained, or you've you've put out so much that your body is going into somewhat of a toxic state. Um, and then, but it's difficult because you don't know what kind of supplementation people are on, and you know before they come there, and that's kind of the that's the hidden equation of the whole factor is uh, you know you have to do an assessment and continually assess with by visualizing or watching them go through performance wise and then talking to them to see where they are mentally. And I think that's and by, the difficult part. By your estimation, do you think Ty has what it takes to make it through buds? Do you think he could have done it? Why is this about how I've performed physically, man? Why is that about this? I'll tell you what no, I'm here. Hey man, you're like, cause we're talking to, a real life Navy SEAL, man. Like I want to, yeah. and you've done the stuff. Like I want to hear if I have what it takes. First of all, I have done what the to, stuff. I played, I played with Lance in the mud for a couple days, but I need to tell Lance this before he answers this question. The first round was actually put on by Reno Mendenhall. So he's the one that coordinated with you. And uh, it right. wasn't until like halfway through the day that he found out that I was actually like on the org chart, the leader of the group, because my strategy was, Try not to fall too far behind, but don't necessarily put yourself at the front of the pack because I saw what happened to those guys. And try to stay positive <laughs> and don't stand out positive or negative. Just get through this thing. That, that, that was the strategy. So. Uh, you're trying to be invisible the entire time. You know, trying to, just trying to see who's who. It was, a, it was a long day, man. It was a long day. So. You know, Adam, I, I, I can actually answer that with – it it all comes down to one word, and and that is why would Tyler want to go through butts? And if if he wanted to, and then that was a really really personal reason for him, and he determined that that was his mission in life, then anyone could make it. But unless you're you've got that purpose in your mind, um, then you're just going to be a statistic, you know. And and how quickly that happens is really up to you. But unless you've got that why down. Um, then you're you're going to be the first person to ring the bell, or the second person, or or when five other guys start running for it, you you're going to beat them to it. Uh, so determining that why is is so important, and it doesn't matter, you know, what kind of condition you're in. Any anyone can pass buds if they know why they're there and what their purpose is. 
So that's and something that Ty you said you gonna... try to start. Sorry, go yeah, ahead. go ahead, Ty. Go for it. No, I was just, I didn't think I was going to start your question. So, okay, I was just going to say that's what you you started with was you know do you have a mantra and you said every every um, undertaking that you you go into you try to set up uh, kind of a purpose or get clear on on why you're doing it. Did I hear that right? Is that what you consciously do whenever you take on a new endeavor? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, you got to have an objective and then. You know, why do you want that objective? You know, it, it's an emotion that you have to control and figure out before you start anything. And you what think was that's the why for you? Strength to go through it. All right. Well, your your why can be positive, right? There's something at the end of the tunnel for you, or it can be negative, and you're stuck in the middle of the tunnel. So the whatever's behind you is imploding on you and so there's only one direction for you um so it doesn't matter which which one of those it is because you can draw on that you know no matter what when you get cold and hot and tired and wet and hungry and you know you're injured behind the enemy lines you you can draw on that motivating factor to keep you going and to push you to through extremes that you never would have thought possible any other time you know my personal reason was um i had you know i was 21 years old and i was from small town in georgia and there had a, a bunch of friends there who were just hooked on drugs and you know going to jail and you know i saw myself in their shoes if i didn't do something different and you know what i decided to do different was to join the military and then if I'm going to go in the military, then I'm going to go into the you know, hardest, most extreme thing I can find, and that was the SEALs. And um, you know, once I made that determination and figured out why I was going to do it, and, and you know, it was just getting through one hour, one evolution, one minute, you know, one day at a time after that. You know, you, you got to look at the long term and then break it down into what your short term objectives are. Is that something that they help you figure out, or did you kind of figure that out on on your own? Do they do they give you training like, hey, the way to get through this thing is to not look at the whole picture and just take it one hour at a time, or did you develop that? You know, you don't get much um, when you get there. And in my my experience, what those instructors and, and what the the leadership is there to do it buds is to weed people out. So it's not as if they're going to give you, hey, here's the tips to, on completing this. Uh, this course. No, you don't yeah. get that because you need that when you get there. Uh, and if you think that the, the guy who's standing right next to you is, you know, he's going to be your, your buddy all throughout the entire course, well, you know, he might lose his why, he might lose his reason, and then he's gone and running for the bell and you're, you're left standing there. So you, you kind of have to be, you know, a lighthouse within yourself and, and figure that out. Um, and and I, I knew it when I got there was that I was nothing was going to stop me from completing that program um and then once you finish the, the buds training then you're in the seal teams and it's it's every day that you're in the company of 16 or 18 you know solid alpha guys and everyone's competing to see who can do whatever the fastest and the best and the most accurate so you're you're at a level where you know i, I don't think that's replicated anywhere else in the world so once you get there, then, you know, it's it's your teammates that are keeping you there, I think. Yeah, we had um, we had a guy named Chad Wright on a couple episodes ago, and he's a SEAL. He's actually also from a small town in Georgia, which is kind of interesting. But um, we asked him, I, <laughs> yeah. we asked Georgia, him. Georgia's good for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's the deal with Georgia in the small town? Um so we asked him this, and I wanted I wanted to hear your answer. Well, two questions. One was there ever a time during buds that the thought even crossed your mind of kind of giving up? And then um, if there wasn't, uh, what was the hardest thing that happened to you during buds? Like, what was the thing that you're like, oh man, this is this is gonna be a tough one? Um, actually. Let's see. Um, well, one of the, the, the toughest parts was I developed tendonitis 
along the way. So I was probably in the first phase of training, and my Achilles was uh, every time I do a swim, you know, I couldn't even uh, I couldn't even dorsiflex my foot because my, my Achilles tendon was so locked up. So I would hobble around for the next hour or so, and we'd have to go on a run, and I'd, I'd suffer through that. And I found myself going down to, to Mexico and getting um, veterinarian horse liniment, DMSO, and, and you know, putting it on there and, and icing it every opportunity, every night, just to, to try to stay in the program. And, um, you know, I was, I was seriously at the point where I was probably going to, my run times had already started going downhill. And I, if I didn't do something, I was going to uh, be a performance rollback or get washed out of the program. And then, uh, one of the doctors, the orthopedic physicians gave me a cortisone shot and, uh, right in the Achilles tendon. And it, uh, yeah, it helped me out so much and, you know, it allowed me to continue with the program. But I think, because I had spent a year in the fleet. Uh, when I first came in the Navy, you had to do a year in the fleet before you could even put your package in for, for BUDS training. And I did a year in the fleet. Uh, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And whenever things really got tough and I knew that, hey, I've still got a, I've still got a three-year commitment for the Navy. And if I wash out here, I'm going back to the fleet. And that's a pretty good incentive, you know, for a lot of people if they've been there. And at this point now, when people go directly from uh, the street into boot camp and they've, they're in the pipeline straight into Navy Special Warfare, whether it's EOD or diver or uh, Special Warfare combat crewmen or, or boat guys, you know, they're in that pipeline. So they don't they don't spend any time in the fleet and they don't. They don't go in and mess crank or cook for the first six or eight weeks when they're on a ship. You know, they don't really see the big, the suck factor is not quite as high there for them. So I think they don't have the incentive that if um, they would have had they had to spend a year in the fleet and do all those things first. So th those were some of my um, mantras and, and things that I use to keep going no matter what. Is it true, Lance, that back because um, you went into to SEAL training, you were in the eighties at some point. Is that right? You went into the Navy in sure, eighty three. Yeah. Is that right? So, is there anything that they used to do in buds yeah. that they no longer do or that they can't do? You know, I I don't think so. I think everything is still open game. Um, the guys now get they get a lot more medical uh, assistance and rehabilitation. You know, they really increase the the rehab facilities there so i think you know guys that are coming in my hat's off to them you know most of them are you know they're smarter they're stronger they, you know they know what they're getting into they've got youtube and books and every kind of self-help program um i think i think they're in a really good place so and after you the question, no, I don't think there's anything new, or, or if anything has has dropped off, then there's been some, you know, more deviant stuff that has come up from some of the newer instructors that they figured out. Okay, I can do this and yeah. this and this, and you know, guys, uh, it, it, it there's no limit to how you can hurt people if you want to, uh, or if you're trying to get someone out. One of the big things now that that they've implemented, and I think it's it's great. It's crucial. It's uh, it's peer review. So guys that are um, that are just kind of cruising along in the gray area, trying to be invisible, and so the instructors see them. <laughs> the what about those guys? Them. Them. Leave them alone. Hi. <laughs> and now they do a peer review. So the guys that are in the class know who who those guys are, and they can actually vote them off the island. Um, at some point in training and uh i've seen some some guys leave just by peer review so i think wow. that's a that's a really good tool to use now well well that's important right because that's the guy that you're out there you know working with and that's the guy that you're on special missions with i mean i think i mean that makes total sense to me that you would have a chance to weigh in on the guy next to you yeah, it, it makes sense to me too because you know you can try to impress the the staff as much as you want to, and you can you can be 110 percent while they're around, and then when if you go back to you know 90 percent mode or cruise mode when 
it's just you and your class and you're trying to clean up or clean weapons and you know you finish yours and you're off going and taking care of your own stuff instead of helping your buddy out you know those are the people that you want or you want to get rid of one or the other yeah is it like is it do the do the old timer seals look at the the guys going through it today kind of like the old timer nfl guys look at the nfl today like we're playing two-hand touch football today in the NFL. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, back in yeah. the old days, it was just no holds bar. Is that the same sort of mentality as the the guys that were going through it in the 80s and 90s is how they look at it today? I, I think most of the guys have got a pretty open mind on it. So it, it's not as if they're playing two-hand touch football. They're playing at a speed that was unheard of, you know, back in the day with for the NFL guys. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be some missed tackles and things like that. And and then, and then we know the guys that are that are playing now, you know, that are in the in the teams and special warfare, they're playing under rules of engagement that are so restrictive to some of our guys in, in different parts of the world that it's almost like fighting with your hands tied behind your back and giving the enemy the intelligence on where you when you're going to be somewhere. Um, so mm-hmm. we understand what their limitations are and, and you know, there's a lot of respect for the guys who are, who are out there now on the front lines because you know they have a, a completely different mission and they've got the technology and the capabilities that, that we never had back in the 80s, 90s, and first decade of the 2000s. So you know you can hear old guy bitch, but that's that's just what old guys do. You know they <laughs> they like to think we were bigger and better, oh. and better but you know we know the truth. <laughs> Yeah. Do you think, um, I wanted to ask, sorry, Ty, to cut you off. Um, the SEAL group has always been such a tight-lipped group, like historically. And I think with movies like Lone Survivor and American Sniper and some of these other, uh, you know, movies that have really come out and almost showed some vulnerability with, you know, not the SEALs necessarily, but just being willing to share kind of the highs and lows of what it's like. What's your thoughts on all that? And, you know, do you like it? Do you feel like it's bringing a lot of positive, you know, publicity to the program? And just what's kind of your overall take on, you know, I think it's probably been over the last 10, 15 years that it's really become, you know, there's been a lot of movies about it and a lot of publicity about it. Mm -hmm. And there's podcasts and all kinds of things that are, giving people a lot more insight into what it's like. Yeah, that's not always a good thing. You know, and, and as far as most of the people, 99% of the community would, uh, if we could reset, then none of those movies or books or anything else would have come out. Um, and, but that's, you know, that's not reality. Uh, reality is that um, there, there's been a, a lot of publicity negative uh, in, in the past few years, and that shed a bad light on uh, our community, not just the, the SEALs, but uh, special warfare and um, special operations. But we seem to have gotten the brunt of it because we're, we're in the middle of a lot of that. Uh, my particular opinion on some of that is uh, I would just prefer that you know, guys just shut up and do their job and uh, not not get out and write about it and make movies and, and feel like they have to profit from it. I, just, I don't think, I don't agree with it. And then you'll see a lot of the, the people who are writing those books, um, they're not really in favor in the community. And, you know, at some point, they, they even could be ostracized by other people in the community as well. So that's just the only way that we have of showing what the way we think about it. We brought this up with um, with Jesse Itzler about David Goggins, and, and I've read different articles and things like that, that he's not, like, well-liked in the SEAL community. And I, I know you don't want to, like, go on record or anything, but is that what it's about? I mean, is that where it comes from, is the, the overwhelming sense I get from the SEAL community is it's kind of suffer in silence or do your job and, and don't, you know, we don't need all the publicity. And so is that kind of where that, you know, I don't know if it's resentment or just opinion. Is that kind of where it comes from? I think so. You know, the definition of a good operator, a good SEAL team, or 
or Green Beret or, um, you know, Air Force Pararescue is guys that are, that are hitting it hard, doing their job, and then, you know, going home and preferably, you know, letting off steam. Uh, it, it's a double-edged sword. It's a, if you don't let off that steam, you know, you, you see a high, really high suicide rate in um, the special operations. And that's because guys are internalizing a lot of the stuff, a lot of the stress, you know, constant deployments. Um, and and it's, just, it's a situation that special operations in, in this country has never been in, in quite a long time, you know, 20, 22 years of uh, unlimited deployments and back to back to back to back uh, with just no relief. So, again, it's a double-edged sword. You know, hopefully it'll bring some light on the situation with uh, some mental health issues that guys seem to have, TBI, PTSD, um, and, and then we can work on dealing with that. But then you like to share all the highs with all your teammates, you know, uh, but you don't really want to break out and talk about, hey, you know, things are bad at home and, you know, my kids hate me and <laughs> my wife's fixing to leave me, stuff like that. You just, you know, those situations arise and a lot and you just don't, you kind of internalize that. So it's a, it's like a domino effect, I think, where you have yeah. all that stress, you internalize it, you don't let it out. Uh, and then your performance starts uh, getting affected by that as well. So, you know, hopefully in the, in the future, going forward, more people realize that, you know, the military starts realizing that and has, has a way of, to deal with it somehow by relieving the, the combat load, stress load, the rotational length of deployments and uh, number of deployments that a person has to do. But, uh, you know, I don't see any, any in the near future, you know, if you look at all the different crises that we've got, the sun never sets in the Special Operations Command, you know, there's somewhere there's probably 25 to, to 30 conflicts going on right now that Joe Public has no idea about. You know, we're in country and have been there for a long time, and but it's it's not the mainstream news and it's not sexy. So you know, they're they're not reporting on it, which is it it's a, to be a good thing too. You know, we just would rather stay low key and do our job and then uh, move on to the next. I was going to say, your your community kind of feeds on that, though, right? Like, people, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not like you and your friends got into the SEALs to be recognized. You got in there to, you know, to make something better of yourself and to, to help where you could. And it just so happens that you were fit for solving problems at the highest level, right? I mean, that's that's more what it's about. You guys prefer it that way, don't you? You know, 99.9% of the guys would just... They'd rather get in there and do their job, uh, you know, whatever their motivating factor is, because they're fighting for the country. You know, they, they love their country, they love their their family, and they want to protect everyone around them, and then and then get out. Yeah. And you know, it, it, you could do something along the way, and hopefully, you know, the military will recognize that and take care of you in the long run. But yeah, it's for the most part, guys are in it for the, all the right reasons. You know, it's not to write a book. It's not to, something to put on their resume. And you see a very, very small amount of people who are, who are in there for that, and they make it through the program, and then they're, they're out. You know, they're kind of one-hit one wonders. Uh, and, and it's only because they wanted something to, to put on their resume. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's talk about you. Talk about doing your job. Let's talk about your job. This this chief warrant officer, level four chief warrant officer. Um, hopefully, I don't make all kinds of mistakes on this, but I warned you. I've been doing some research, Lance, and you, you know what happens when you arm me with a laptop and set me free. So uh, look out, world. This is look out, world. Uh, but this is what it says about chief warrant officers. Number one is warrant officers are highly skilled single track specialty officers. Number two, for chief warrant officer ranks two or level two through five, um, these warrant officers are commissioned by the president. Uh, and then third thing is warrant officers can do, uh, can and do command detachments, units, activities, vessels, aircraft, and armored vehicles, as well as lead, coach, train, and council subordinates. However, the warrant officer's primary task 
as a leader is to serve as a technical expert providing valuable skills, guidance, and expertise to commanders and organizations in their particular field. So when someone like me reads this, you mm -hmm. are one of the few people that can kind of wear all hats. You can, you're, you're functionable in land, water, leadership, following, weapons, hand-to-hand, -hand, whatever. It looks like for this position, there are very, very few people that can wear all the hats. You can lead, you can be in the field. How, how did you see your role? What, I'm interested in what your view of that position was. What did you see the, the role to be and how did you fulfill it? Well, you know, I, I can boil it down to, I think you can get down and, you know, get dirty and, and party with the troops and then you can go brief the general on, you know, what the mission is the next day. And it's a it's a real gray area, uh, and I like working those gray areas as you do, Tyler. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> Come was, on, uh, man! So. Come on! <laughs> I'm just taking. Like, I was what the senior I enlisted. Was, I was trying not to. Yeah, I know what I, you were saying. Uh, no, I was a senior hey, enlisted before I went warrant. I'm laughing at Ty, and he just completed a triathlon. I'm over here eating subways and cookies before this interview started, so I got no, I got no room to talk. Sorry, okay. go on, please. Um, back to your question, man. So I was, I was a senior enlisted uh, senior chief, so E8 out of E9 uh, out of nine, and so I put in my package to go to warrant, and that package goes in front of a board of. of senior officers and, and senior enlisted people and, and they select uh, they select you um, out of a group of candidates. So you come in and, and you're you're a junior warrant, but you've already got the experience level of a senior enlisted. So I think what that does is it allows you to transcend between the enlisted ranks and the officer ranks and such that you're seen as a uh, subject matter expert in whatever in my particular case, it was uh, it was special warfare. So all the things that culminate into special warfare, you know, I had um, a pretty good list of accomplishments in a lot of those things, and it allowed me to to help bring some of the junior enlisted guys up and help train some of the senior enlisted guys and and as well as mentoring the junior officers as they came along in their careers so it's a it's a it's a good area i think and, and something that really fill filled the gap between the enlisted ranks and the the line officer ranks as a warrant officer and you stay basically in that area you don't jump back and forth uh, between one and the other so you become a little bit more of an expert in one particular area or another, and that that's a good thing for uh, for leadership and for mentorship, I believe. It's kind of it's kind of a role of temperance too, though, right? Because you mentioned like being able to party with the guys and have good morale with the group, and then go brief the general and 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 kind of be bilingual almost, right? You can speak field, and then you can speak general's tent. Uh, did you find it difficult to find that balance? I asked because. Our teams do this. Uh, our business is built on our senior leaders don't sit behind desks. They're, they're in the mm -hmm. field. They work with the guys. You can take any, any leader out and the senior leader can fill that role as well as they can. So this is something that I think on principle, we, we, we see a, a translation there. So did you find it hard to find the balance between uh, one of those extremes? You know, the, the, the warrant officer ranks are really dependent on uh the officers that they're working under so if i'm working under a team commander and he's had a really good experience with warrant officers in the past and, and he sees value in in using that rank or utilizing a warrant officer in the method in which optimizes um his personnel then he will give that he can give that warrant officer a lot of leeway and responsibility and authority and then some of them who have not had that experience they may want to just keep them you know close hold and uh, not give them the responsibility but it's it's a kind of an unlimited position and, and such that uh yeah you can you can go out and you can be a task unit leader or a platoon leader uh or an operations guy and and roll with a, an entire team or you can you know, you can throttle back and just uh, be in charge of a squad of people that are standalone at an embassy somewhere in the country and 
you know, you're the only officer there, uh, but you've got a lot of experience and you report directly to the commanding officer. So it, it's, like I said, it, there's a hundred different options and things that you can and can't do. And it's all uh, based on the, the amount of responsibility and authority that the commanding officer wants to give you. Mm -hmm. But in that, that position, that's a position where you mo mostly work with teams and you mostly lead other teams. And that's, you know, in our brief experience together, that's one of the things that has impacted me the most. I didn't tell you this. I've got, I've got pages of like, like journal entries just on my experience with under like your philosophies and just having gone through some of the programs that you put on. And uh, I, I don't necessarily say that to toot your horn, but it's very effective. It works. It's, it's changed the way that I think about leadership and the way that, that some of our teams function. So what maybe what I'm interested in is, you know, when we've gone through SealFit and when you do these um, experiences, these developmental experiences with guys, I didn't realize mm -hmm. it at the time, but you'll do these things where we just exert extreme just physical energy. We're just going at every – and you mentioned it. These things are hard for the super fit or for the guy that's straight off the couch. Like no matter where you're at, you guys will make sure it's difficult. But the thing I noticed in retrospect is there'll be times when, you know, we'll take a knee, never with your hands on your hips, never that. But <laughs> when you, <laughs> you learned one thing, <laughs> oh, geez, man, uh, for you guys that are listening, you put your hands on your hips around Coach Lance and it's just punishment after punishment. But the point is this, you would talk, you would talk in those moments when we were pretty physically beat down, you would give us stories or experiences of. Uh, either combat things or leadership experiences that you have had that that cement a point. But I, I also realize now that you're letting us rest so we don't just die in the first three hours of, of training. But, um, you know, one of the things that you constantly say is it's not about you, it's about the men next to you. So talk about maybe the theory of people doing things outside of themselves in the name of a team. Right. Or if you have like specific examples or things that you've seen of people just doing things they never thought were possible because they weren't focused inward. Well, just say, for example, you know, you're, you're at that point where you're feeling tired and the person right next to you, I'm sure it's just as tired or maybe even more so than you are, depending on their level. And, and they start, uh, they start faltering. Well, it's a, it's a team event, you know, and if you know that you have to carry six men have to cross the finish line together and, you know, the, the six man is now going down and you have to pick that person up. Now all your energy and focus, it leaves you, right? So you're no longer focusing internally on, on how you're feeling and your fatigue. And now you're focusing on getting that person across the finish line, whatever it takes. So in, with the energy that you didn't think you had in you five minutes ago, now it's just a, it's a given that you're going to pick yourself up as well as your teammate. And, you know, with the help of, of two or three other people, hopefully, who, who see that happening and can realize that they can be a help as well. You know, it takes that focus off of you. And, and that's one thing that I found in doing some hard stuff, you know, like with these epic charity challenges is I'll go out and, and we're doing an eight day hike across Greece, tracing the route from Sparta to Demopoli. And, you know, my feet are killing me and I'm tired and I'm hurt, but, you know, I see a couple of people out there who are even worse shaped than me. And um, now all of a sudden I've got renewed energy or, or my blisters aren't quite so bad. So I need to get them to the finish line or to the end of the day. So, you know, I'll go over and, and make them take their shoes off and tape their toes up and, you know, help them out or do whatever it takes or help them with their prosthetic or, you know, whatever it takes. But now I no longer think about myself and, it just helps the whole team carry the ball down the field and get it across the goal line. Um, and, you know, once you put yourself in that instances two or three times, as you know now, you know, you've done that, it, it becomes easier and easier every time you do it. And then when you start talking about it, you, you're preaching it to your team, then obviously you're living it. Um, so it becomes an innate portion of your everyday activities. You know what stands what? out is – Sorry, when when we were doing, uh, we were on a rock once, and I was I hadn't learned this thing from you guys yet. And we're out there walking around, and I I I got brand new Nike boots like two days before the the event, which is 
an obvious best practice. <laughs> and my, my feet were just killing me. And it was funny because I was walking and I went over, I, in my head, I didn't even think I was complaining, but I went over to one of your coaches and I was like, hey, do you have something I can wrap my, my heel with? I'm getting a blister. And I thought he was going to be like, oh yeah, dude, here, come here. But what he said was, Williams, stop being selfish. And I was like, stop being selfish. Like immediately in my head, I was like, stop being selfish. I'm like trying to do this event with people. But I think that, that, that idea of, you know, when you're in pain or when you're mentally struggling or when you're in a slump, looking to somebody that needs help and helping them, it's counterintuitive, but that's the thing that pulls you out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and you just stated exactly what the lesson is that we try to put forth, you know, and if everyone would realize that and at some point reach out and help someone else, you know, the whole team goes down the field that much further and faster and you reach your objective. And the next thing you know, you're looking at each other going, well, you know, that sucked, but here we are, you know, now it's fun. Right. Lance, what is it, what is it about doing hard things that galvanizes you? Well, I don't know. You'd have to, I guess you were always redefining what's difficult and what's hard, you know, and once you do something that you thought was difficult, now it's, you look back on it and reflect and you can always say, well, I could have prepared better or I, I could have uh, logistically done better here, done better there. Next time, maybe I'll be a little bit more prepared. So you, you set something up uh, else up to test your methods. But it seems like your, it, your thoughts on that. It seems like you're constantly seeking out like the next hardest thing to do. You know what I mean? And I don't think that's a normal way that people, most people live. Like most people aren't constantly seeking out like the next really, really difficult thing to do. Is there something just inside of you that just thrives on, you know, taking on something that, you know, most people can't do? I don't, you know, I don't compare it to, but most people or anyone else, I, I'm just, <laughs> the battle is within um, and, you know, redefining that word hard or difficult is, I think something you should do every day. And if you don't have something out there in front of you, then why are you living? Well, we work with sales teams and our, you know, our sales teams are out going door to door. And mm -hmm. right now we have one of our biggest sales competitions happening right now. We're kind of down to the final four in each of our divisions that we have. And it's really, really fun to see these teams coming together. And there's so much power in doing hard things together. Right. And um, it seems like, you know, I'm sure you have endless stories of teams that have, you know, at the start of a large task, may have even been dysfunctional at times, but by the time they're done, there's relationships that are forged for a lifetime. So what, what, what do you think it is about doing hard things even together as a team that sort of forges those bonds and is so special when they complete it? Well, if you set your objective as a team, you know, and everyone's got the buy-in on it, then when you meet that objective, I mean, your teams do, some of the hardest things that, that anyone could ever contemplate. And that's, that's going out every day and facing rejection, you know, and, and getting rejected 25 times out of, out of 26 or maybe for three days in a row, you don't make a sale. Right. I could tell you, um, you know, a lot of people would rather, I don't know, would rather swim the English channel than face doing that every day. And so that that's difficult, you know. It's just definition of hard is not not always physical. And I, I got to hand it to them, you know. If they set an objective and together they meet that objective, then those that team is bonded, you know. If they win a game or if they win a, a uh, meet their sales objectives, then they're bonded together because they had buy-in on it. They did it, you know, and everyone achieved it. It's like winning a battle. Um, so every time a team does that and they they increase that bond and increase those fibers, then uh, I think they're going to be better and better and better. It's just, it's it's when you start breaking the team apart because now I need this guy over here and this guy over there. Well, you lose a lot of the dynamics of the past success 
And now, you know, you're having to reinvent those. But every one of those teammates takes what they just learned from the previous team and they carry that forward. Not always, it might not always work in a different dynamic with the additional personalities, but some of it might. And if one or two things do work, then, you know, that's a win in my eyes. Yeah. So your guys, and, are, uh, your guys are, they do hard stuff. You know, it's not always defined as just going out and, you know, doing burpees, a thousand burpees in a day or something like that, you know, seeing how far you can go. It's uh, it's mental as well. Well, I'm interested in that because it, your brain goes to, you know, what limited experience we have with the physical side, your brain goes to the same place, right? Like it, it's crazy. The first round of seal fit we did with you, uh, most of that leadership team didn't stick it out at the job. The second round mm -hmm. of seal fit we went through with you, just about all those guys are still here. Like literally your brain goes to the same place. We all, we've joked that we should make something like that, like the coach Lance treatment, a part of our like leadership hiring process. Cause it's like, it seemed to be like a pretty true eliminator. But one of the things I wanted to touch on for a second is the, the, um, the concept of leading from the front. So, um, your team came and put on a specialty event with us um, when Jocko Willink came and spoke to the group and he put us kind of through our own little grinder on that, that baseball field. And one of the events was we had to do like a, it was like a game of like medicine ball, kickball type of a thing where you're on a team of four and you had to take turns throwing a medicine ball around all the bases of, of the baseball field. Um, and I actually saw you on one of your videos throwing a medicine ball, like on your street, like by a garbage truck or whatever, it brought back the same memory. But I remember doing that. I remember being in that rotation and thinking to mm -hmm. myself just in a moment of weakness, like, man, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can keep throwing the ball. I don't know if I can make this whole round. And then I looked left and you were on a team by yourself throwing the medicine ball the whole way. I was like, man, I only have to do this 25% of the amount. And no disrespect, Lance, but I'm half your age. And so I'm watching, I'm watching, I'm like, okay. Immediately your credibility with the group went up and my thought of what's possible went up. Well, our leaders have to sell, right? Like the guys that manage again, they don't sit behind a desk. So maybe talk about leading from the front. What examples you've seen of that? Well, I've, you know, I've really tried to emulate some of the, the leaders that I've been with in, in you know, Naval Special Warfare and, and not a single one of them, you know, not a single incident. There, is there a one of them that, that, that I would look up to who were not in the front, you know, and, and every evolution, they were in there with the guys seeing, okay, who's going to have the most accurate course of fire, or who's going to win this swim or who's going to win this run. And it seems like that really gels the entire team. You know, when my commanding officer is out there on every swim, well, guess what? Your ass better be out there too. Um, <laughs> and it just it sets an example for everyone else to follow. And you can you can give it as much lip service as you want to, but unless you're out there physically doing the job, you know, and making the sale and getting out there beating the street and showing them how it's done. Most people are just going to revert back to what they know, and maybe that's not the best way. So, you know, I, I think my my own little team, Lance, throwing throwing the ball around the the field that day was uh, my way of saying, if I can do this and beat you, then it it should be a wake up call. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's not the only example. I remember the first ruck I went on. Uh, thinking, man, I, I'm going to, this, this backpack is going to cut my arms off with the weight that was in there. And then I remember getting back to the base and, and you unloaded two or three and didn't say anything, but you unloaded two or three sandbags from yours and I was dying carrying one. I think, I think that principle is almost the foolproof way to, to gain favor with people that you lead where say, Hey, listen, I'm not going to do anything. Or I'm not going to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. And you still have room to go because I can do it better than you, right? It's just, it, there's something motivating about that, right? I, um, yeah, I Lance, couldn't agree more. Yeah. What do you do to train your mind, Lance? Do you have do you do you meditate? Do you have any kind of like conscious like mental training that that you do just to keep yourself sharp and and improving your leadership? 
Um, you know, when I go on like a long swim or a long bike ride or a ruck or something like that, I'm, I'm always just thinking about self-improvement, you know, and, and if, if I can improve myself and what, what lesson can I think of that will, that will help me be a better coach or a better father or a better husband, you know, how can I use these self-taught things to in you know, and put them into practical application. So that's that's kind of what what I'm thinking about. You know, and and many times in the past, I've learned to shut the negative chatter off. You know, if you ever thinking about, well, this is this is going to suck, or I can't do this, and you've got all those negative connotations going on, and you know, you've got to discipline yourself to turn those around and and make them positive, so that you can achieve whatever you want to do. You know, and and then again, if you're trying to set an example for someone, it's hard to do that when you're being negative on yourself. So if you're always spouting positive things to your team, so whether it be your family or your workmates or um, you know your crew, your subordinates, if you're if you're saying those things, then I think you damn well better be living them too. I agree. With hey, that. I had a question, uh, kind of switch gears just a, a hair, so my kids don't aren't growing up in the same set of circumstances that I grew up in. And I feel like a lot of what has made me successful in my career and in my job is a lot of the adversity that I kind of went through growing up and, you know, kind of my house situation and things like that. So Mm -hmm. as a father where you've got, you mentioned earlier, um, before we started, you have twins that are 12 and, as a father, I mean, you're, you're so accomplished. You've done so many things. Um, I'm assuming that your kids are not growing up in the same set of circumstances that you grew up in. How do you, how do you instill the discipline in how, like what things are you doing as a father to try and instill some of that discipline or just work ethic or, you know, the things that have made you successful in your kids? Hmm. Well, I don't always, I don't think you can always force feed that, you know, sometimes it's got to be real subliminal when your horse whispering by setting an example, you know, and whether you think they're picking it up or not, they probably are, you know, hopefully they are. Um, you know, I take my kids on as many events and they're, they're really well traveled. Uh, and then if I'm going to Normandy to, to do a, a English Channel swim or you know the event that we've done in uh, Greece or, or other places, and I take them along so they can experience you know the patriotism that that everyone feels when they're looking out over the the cemetery uh, on Omaha Beach and they're hearing the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> you know, my kids pick that stuff up and they they know what it feels like to to be successful or or to to make a sacrifice. Um, and I, I think that even though sometimes you don't think it, uh, they're, they're picking that stuff up. And, and, you know, they're seeing what you do as an example. And even though it's not the same set of circumstances, uh, I think they'll be, they'll be fine. You know, they'll, they'll get the message and that's all you can really do. I mean, you can't sit down and pour it into their head, right? Mm. Let's talk so, about, yeah, you, you've the, mentioned it a Sorry, you mentioned it a couple of times, but let's let's talk about this epic charity challenge that you do. This is this is incredible. I mean, this is a yearly challenge to iconic places that have kind of a historical significance. You've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars doing this. Maybe maybe just talk about this. Some of the things that you've done and learned, and and and, and what this um, I guess charity event is to you. Well. Uh, Short answer is it's it's a way that I can, you know, I can't personally contribute or write a check for five hundred thousand dollars to, you know, charities in in the past four years. But I can I can organize an event where everyone comes together and with a little bit of adversity in an in iconic location somewhere in the world, and, and everyone challenges themselves and they come out better at the end and then the charity you know we we made 
a lot of donations to a lot of good charities and they've been able to better thousands of other people's lives in such uh, a way. So yeah, I guess it's my way of uh, um, addressing the fact that yeah, I can't write a check myself, but uh, I've got the ability to organize and bring together a bunch of people and together we can all do it. So it's a win, 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 as far as I'm concerned, you know, for myself, for the participants, for the charities, for the people that benefit from the charities, everyone comes out a better person from it. And you know, I, I can't think of a better way to do it than making up some hard shit to do and, you know, <laughs> and challenging people yeah. to raise money and, and get out there and do it. You know, and I've, we've got repeat offenders who've, come on every one of the events you know so far and they sign up and they're the first ones to sign up for the next year and uh just wondering when and where we're going to go and what we're going to do they sign up before you announce when and where absolutely yeah that's wild man because you guys i mean you mentioned this but you guys have gone to greece and you've retraced uh kind of the path from the the movie 300 right the king leonidas people to, to intercept the persian army you guys have done Normandy. Yeah. You got people swim the ten, like the English Channel. I mean, this is we just, this, uh, this stuff yeah. is crazy. Yeah, it's uh, you got to throw something out there that's a little bit past most people's comfort zone, but something that you know average people can do if they put their mind to it. And if you program, okay, here's a training regiment. You need to follow this for the next six months, and if you do that, then you'll be able to accomplish this. So you give them a roadmap to follow and an objective to hit, uh, and then say, "Hey, you can, you're not going to be out there by yourself. We're going to there's 20, 30 people are going to be out there with you, and we're all going to be doing this together. Um, you know, camaraderie. It's uh, I think you have all the the ingredients for successful evolution there. You know, and you're going to raise money, and you know, uh, people are going to benefit from that. It's it's not it's not impossible. Um, none of the things that we do are impossible, but you just, you got to put your mind to it and adhere to the training program and you'll come out ahead. Lance, what is, uh, what does your daily routine look like? More specifically your morning routine. Are you, are you really, I think I know the answer to this. Are you really regimented? Do you do the same thing every day? What does it look like? Mm, well, right now my days, uh, it could be, you could find me anywhere since I'm, I'm, I'm this kid at FedEx. But, um, yeah, I, I'm usually up, you know, six and then get a workout in, uh, whether, and most of my stuff is all body weight too. You know, it's, uh, these push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, you know, it's consistent though. And then try to get some good cardio in, riding or rucking or something, you know, three or four days a week. But I, I try to have something out there in front of me that I'm training for, you know, otherwise it, you're just kind of working out and going through the motion. So I try to be as specific as possible. You know, if I've got a competition coming up then I'm going to, I'm going to try to paddle four or five days a week, you know, if I've got a race coming up or, you know, something that is going to help me in whatever event that I've either self-imposed or I've signed up for, you know, a century bike ride or something. And, it, and just to be as consistent as possible that, you know, eat good. I try to, I try to hold my first meal until about 11 or 12 o'clock uh, in the afternoon. So from eight o'clock or six o'clock at night, I generally don't eat until it's an intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. I'll do some, I, I like to use the, the bubs, um, uh, collagen proteins, as well as the, um, medium chain triglycerides, you know, I'll, I'll have that in a cup of coffee in the morning, you know, and that'll keep me going hard until 12 o'clock. And, you know, I'm, I'm working, trying to get stuff done and, you know, hopefully getting some kid time in there and, you know, working with the family and trying to make a living at the same time. It, you know, it gets busy. You know, it, you really, you don't have to worry about cranking in recovery time because something's going to happen and you're not going to be able to work out for couple of days at a time or three days or, you know, but you have to try to be as consistent as possible. Well, I think you hit it with the consistency thing. Cause if people, again, if you just jump on the website and look at the Epic Charity Challenge, like those videos, it's interesting to hear you say that and know what you actually look like, because it's not, you're in incredible shape, 
And uh, I think it's just the consistency because I look at it and I'm like, man, I don't know that I could, I don't know that I could get in that kind of shape, but it is motivating to hear that you don't have to go absolutely ballistic, but you do have to be out there, you know, four to six. How old are you? How old are you, Lance? Uh, I just turned 60 last week. Jeez, Lance's big six zero man. <laughs> well, congrats he did sixty on... a little different. <laughs> yeah, I know, and it's like I'm imagining Lance walks around. Just you know, I mean, you don't strike me as the cocky type in any way, but um, there's got to be some satisfaction though, and you could pretty much whoop you know ninety nine point nine percent of the population anytime you want. So yeah. I I don't know. Like again, the the battle is internal. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's comparing yourself to others is is kind of vain in my my eyes. But you know, if if I'm at a point where I feel like okay, I'm at, at least ninety percent of where I want to be, then I feel good about it. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Well, we need to we need to commission you to do. I don't know if an epic charity challenge would be quite the thing for our group, but maybe like a junior epic charity challenge here in the United States, where you can take twenty or thirty applicants and help us do something difficult. Would you be down for that someday? Sure, man. You define epic. We'll triple it and then go from there. How about that? <laughs> Sounds awesome. That's great, lads. Hey, well, we want to appreciate or we want to thank you for being on, man. It's. Uh, it's it's taken some coordination to get this time with you, so I really appreciate it. We're super grateful for your service. We're grateful for the value that you've added to our sales teams. And more than anything, man, it's always great to talk to to like-minded people that that help us continually push the envelope. So thank you so much yeah, you for joining us. You guys continue to do sharing. that. Yeah, I want to leave you yeah. with one thing. And then I heard this guy say it one time, and, and it stuck with me. Is that uh, you know, when you're setting your objectives, no matter what it is, personal, professional, family, if, if you articulate your objectives to someone and they don't laugh, you're probably not setting the bar high enough. Mm. That's great. I like that. That's great. It's kind of a self-check so, when you hear that because it's like a lot of times you set that objective and it's like someone else laughs, but you have that big internal sigh like, oh, boy. I know what this is going to take, but I think it's I think it's possible. You know that feeling. Or you don't and, say and, it, or, or you don't say it because no, you think they'll laugh. No, no, no. You got to say it. If you got to publicize that, you know they'll hold you to it. Now, that's one thing. You, you advertise that to all your friends and you know your network. They'll they'll make you stick to the program. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. That's a great challenge to leave us with. This probably isn't the last time we'll speak or the last time you'll see this group, but. Thank you again for your time. Congratulations on all your accomplishments, and thank you for the value add today. Hey, absolutely. Back at you, brother. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.